From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. Sports is business. And whenever you are procuring talent, you must start with a criteria. Being owners of this league and wanting our league to be the best in the world, how do we make it better? The valuations are getting so high, the list of people who could purchase a team is getting really short. We have eight strategic investment areas when you look at the world of sports. The NBA's already in 210 countries around the world. NFL is an amazing thing for the sports betting industry. We have the World Cup coming in 2026. North America. Hey, if I get a million dollars for going to a school, trust me, I'll be there. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. Coming up today with the Super Bowl around the corner, we talk big game betting action with the CEO of BetMGM, Adam Greenblatt. There is a base level of demand in the state of Nevada for the product. What we are seeing is that with the increase, with the availability of regulated sports betting around the country, the tide has risen across the board, which includes Nevada. We also check in on the NBA as we get closer to All-Star Weekend with the president of the Milwaukee Bucks, Peter Fagan. He is fresh off his team's decision to make an unexpected mid-season coaching change. (laughs) You know, we announced... Doc uh, a few days ago and uh, had him march out uh, in front of a Marquette game in the crowd and kind of had a standing ovation for a few minutes. All that straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. But first, we talk through a couple of big headlines from this past week. Big headlines indeed, Michael Barr. A group of big-time investors led by Carlisle Group co-founder David Rubenstein agreed to buy a controlling stake in in Major League Baseball's Baltimore Orioles. And O's legend Cal Ripken Jr. reportedly a part of that group. Of course, Rubenstein is the host of the David Rubenstein Show, Peer-to-Peer Conversations, which airs on Bloomberg Radio and Television. This week, we also saw the PGA Tour strike a deal that could be worth up to $3 billion. To take us through all those big money moves this week and more, welcome back Bloomberg U.S. sports business reporter, old friend of the show, Randall Wood. Williams. Randall, welcome, my man. Back Thank to you Bloomberg. for having me. Thank Yay. you for having me. <laughs> well, let's start, first of all, let's start with the deal here with Rubenstein uh, agreeing to buy the Orioles for $1.7 billion, at which relatively that's cheap compared to other teams. Yeah, I mean, if you compare it to the Commanders or the Broncos or even the Panthers, it's it's a little smaller, and baseball teams are valued at some of the baseball teams are valued at a little bit less. But I'd rather I'd like one point seven billion dollars. 
Oh, yeah. I'll take $1.7. <laughs> That's small. Else, yeah. Please, someone <laughs> donate. So you could argue that David Rubenstein is uh, getting a good deal. And it's not just Rubenstein either, because it's a Rubenstein-led group with some other big names from the world of finance, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that it will. we'll have to see based on how the team performs, of course. Sports valuations are rising. Mm-hmm. We'll see when they peak. Uh, but this is a good deal for him. I think if the team wins, then that Baltimore area is, is rabid about their sports team so if, if he's able to win and capitalize on that through marketing through other things then then it's going to prove to be worth it let me just jump in and mention that uh former new york city mayor michael bloomberg is part of the group that is purchasing the oreos and of course bloomberg is the founder and majority owner of bloomberg news parent bloomberg lp ask eh, scarlet but he doesn't care about the oreos this is all about david rubenstein i mean this is the culmination of a long quest for him to land the orioles i mean he he's 74 years old he grew up when he, you know rooting for the I was rooting for Brooks Robinson, so this is really quite interesting, is it not, Randall? Yeah, I think sports teams and sports leagues enjoy when they get hometown uh, hometown heroes acquire teams because they have a in a relationship with the community that's around them. And when you have sometimes you have billionaires that come in and buy these teams, some, they're hands on and hands off. I mean, look at the way the Panthers have been run. Imagine if that person was a hometown hero; they might connect with the community mm. a little bit more. There might be a little more patience. So this is great for him. What's that old saying? When do you make money off of your baseball team? When you sell it, because they're buying it, uh, the percentage right now from the Angelos family. And at the time, Peter Angelo bought the team, not even a tenth, let's say, of what the going price is now. It's going to be around Back in 1993, Michael Barr. I mean, so he's held it for quite a while. I mean, have they won any World Series in that time? I mean, correct me, I, I... don't think so. Oh, Dang, man. Why, Sorry. Why, why you want to go rain on the parade? Yeah, okay. So I got to ask you, when it comes to the Oreos, what is the state of play when it comes to broadcast rights for this team? Because there's a, there's some confusion, or maybe confusion is not the right word. There was a lot of uh, moving parts when the Nationals moved over to the D.C. area. And I'm not clear on who owns what and what Rubenstein is, is getting in this. So as far as the RSNs, I'm not clear either just yet. Just because there are some who have great RSNs deal, just like the Dodgers who, I mean, quite frankly, their RSN deal allowed them to acquire Shohei Otani and some of the big contracts that they signed this year. Um, With them specifically, I'd have to fact check. Well, Randall, you know, I mean, I'm sure you're aware, uh, last week I was traveling, I was traveling in the Mideast, you know, I went to Doha, I went to Dubai. One place I didn't go was Riyadh. And okay. I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what Moynihan was doing in Riyadh last <laughs> week. Why wasn't he meeting with me? I mean, who was, what's going on with Lib? What's going on with you know this new contingent of U.S. investors who are taking a stake in the PGA? $3 billion. What's it for? Well, this is their new for-profit arm called PGA Tour Enterprises. And so, up front, the players get equity through $1.5 billion, and the rest of it will come in a little later. But... It, this was thought to be needed by a number of people that Bloomberg has spoken to that, hey, they need American investors for a potential PGA and live merger to cross the finish line. This is allegedly going to help with that. Well, and part of the problem that has been created now, and any major golf fan knows where I'm going with this, you've split up the talent now. Right. It's with Liv, with the PGA, uh, and right now you, you divided that whole pool out there, and I wonder if it's weak in both products. Well, 
I think it'll depend on if Liv decides they want to throw another $300, $400 billion at another premier golfer. I mean, that is exactly (laughs) what they did towards the end of last year. And I think the longer that this goes, the more dicey it gets. So does this help? 100%. But does Liv say, hey, we want X golfer now because this is, you know, let's just say it goes into May. Well, Randall, what is unprecedented here is the fact that a U.S. Senate panel is investigating all the discussions that went on with the PJ and Liv. And yep. interestingly enough, when they subpoenaed, I believe it's Yasser Al-Ramayan, who's the Saudi Wealth Fund PIF's um, head who really spearheaded this whole endeavor, um, he refused to show up. And so it, it started a, an inquiry, an interesting subcommittee inquiry. If I'm not, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that, because I think it boiled to a head yesterday. And it sounds like the PIF is actually trying to sue McKinsey and some others to prevent them from releasing information is that right they want this to proceed as quickly and as quietly as possible right so this the news that broke yesterday is needed but any further conversation or investigation i think all parties want to stay out of they're just like hey can we get everybody back together can we make as much money as possible so that we can stop losing money and just bring everyone together because at the end of the day it's like michael was saying when the talent pool is divided it's almost like the afl and nfl Mm. you had to choose which one you're going to watch and right now live doesn't really have a good way for american viewers to watch their product right now if you bring everyone together you don't have that issue. Well, I think the fundamental thing here, just to you know, expand on it, is this goes hand in hand with why foreign investors aren't able to buy stakes in NFL football teams, right? Because the disclosure, the burden that's placed on them to disclose their own information, their own financials, and apparently the argument made by PIF in this case, why they aren't submitting information, is because it would violate Saudi law, whatever that means. Interesting. So now there is indeed a legal conflict of interest. So it's just difficult. It doesn't matter how much money is residing offshore in some of these sovereign wealth funds, what, what pools of wealth, you know, for, for, for them to invest in the United States, the disclosures, the transparency that's required, it just might be a bridge too far, no? Well, in reference to your NFL comment, the NFL doesn't need it. Right. You, well, know, so you could argue the NFL doesn't. There's some I'm working on something secession right now, but they have, if the NFL were to allow something, I think that they would lean a little bit more private equity before looking to sovereign wealth. Now, the NBA has an opportunity for it, but we saw what happened when the Washington Wizards allowed Qatari to come in and mm-hmm. then the um, Israel Hamas thing breaks out. And those are two completely sides of the world. And if I believe they own five or six percent, maybe it's four or five or six percent that the Qatari Wealth Fund owns of the Wizards. And it just creates this conflict like you're speaking of where if you don't clear your books, you're not willing to say, hey, this is how I make my money. Then a lot of these American leagues are like, we don't want your money. And so, well, I think as these valuations rise and as people get older and team sales happen, the pool of people who can buy these sports franchises gets smaller and smaller. So you either change the ownership rules to allow a larger group or you just allow super duper big billionaires to come in from all over the world and purchase them. So when it comes to the NFL, though, it's really about the other NFL owners agreeing to what uh, they want to see from the potential buyers, right? I mean, th- there's no other entity. It's it's this cabal of guys saying, "Yeah, we're okay with that." No, we don't want that. Exactly, exactly. So there's they have a um, an ownership committee that that reviews some of this stuff. And the thing is, you they have to approve of it. So think about Josh Harris. They, I think that deal took around two months just because there's mm-hmm. so many people involved as they're verifying these books and making sure they they have the right person. Because I mean, look at the previous owner of the Commanders. Look at how that went. I mean, Snyder was 
involved in a lot of stuff that had a lot of people shaking in their boots. So if you bring an international owner in and no one is familiar with him and you have all these American guys, it's like a, a cousin you haven't seen in 20 years showing up at the family yeah. reunion. Well, Randall, you make a good point about the private equity model for investing in sports teams. And I wonder, this SSG consortium of investors that's mm-hmm. taking a stake in the PJ. I wonder if that's not a vehicle that's being formed that's perhaps more palatable to the governments in terms of allowing the PIF to invest through that vehicle into the PGA. I don't know if this is the beginning of that type well, of I conversation. With, I spoke with sources yesterday, and they said that any PIF investment would be very small. So minority within the, the PGA Tour yep. enterprises, the yep. for-profit arm. Now, whether... So that doesn't really affect the this thing, but the merger itself, I mean... Who knows how much money that they could invest? We've seen $300, million, $500 million go to players. This thing is worth $3 billion. Yeah. They've offered golfers 10% of that. Yeah. Imagine how much they could buy if the deal just keeps going on and on and on. I want to go back to something Michael Barr pointed out, which is this is dividing the players themselves. Once upon a time, before the announcement that the two were looking to merge or do some kind of combination, you were either on Team PJ or Team Live, mm-hmm. and never the twain shall meet. But now yeah. this has all been mixed up. I mean, no one has to really decide one way or another. You could do both, or you just—it's it, a grab bag out there, isn't it? Yeah, you're, you're ultimately having to make a decision. Do you pick generational wealth? Three hundred. So, I mean, not every deal is three hundred million dollars. I've, I've heard twenty-five million, fifty, but let's talk about the, the ones that are. 300 over 100 million dollars you're having to decide hey go and make this 100 million dollars that could set up my family for generations or stay loyal with an organization that you started with and it's it's really up to them well for a group of folks that wanted to keep it quiet whoo glad we just kept it quiet uh, <laughs> Randall Williams Bloomberg US sports business reporter up next we turn to basketball with Milwaukee Bucks president Peter Fagan hey you're listening to the Bloomberg business of sports from Bloomberg radio around the world From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. The Milwaukee Bucks are in the middle of another winning season, led by superstar Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis, the long tooth against the long arm of Wembenyama. Giannis alone again. Can he do it twice? Yes, sir! Giannis! Back-to-back bombs. He has put the Bucks ahead by three with two. 21, four to go here in the fourth quarter. Back to Giannis. Left wing, tie game, 56 seconds to go. Giannis with a ferocious slam right in the face of Kelton Johnson with a foul as a cherry on top. But despite being one of the league's best teams, they just made a... Um 
pretty surprising coaching change. Oh, yeah. And here now to talk with us is Milwaukee Bucks president Peter Fagan. Hello, sir. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thanks for having us. Well, okay. I got to ask, everybody wants the elephant in the room, and I know, and you know, don't hang up on me, but <laughs> you guys made a, a surprise coaching change. You guys got Doc Rivers, uh, who takes over for Adrian Griffin. Uh, what was the reaction inside the organization about this move? You know, almost 100% positive. I think, you know, certainly some empathy and, and, and kind of when you make any type of pivot like this, like changing, we, you know, Adrian Griffin as a person is, is kind of off the charts, a total pro, been great. I just think for the organization and, you know, to make a pivot and to really think we need to accelerate directionally, kind of change our direction uh, and our approach was the key. And, uh, you know, we announced Doc, uh, had him march out uh, in front of a Marquette game in the crowd and kind of had a standing ovation for a few minutes. And it's kind of, it's Doc's locally a homecoming and that he's a, a guy who played for Marquette. And uh, I think it's been overwhelmingly like seamless and positive kind of internally and externally as, as good as we could hope. Peter, I want to ask you all about, you know, Marquette. I want to ask you about the Deer District. I want to ask you about the Bucks heading for their second championship as long as you've been president within the last nine years. But before I do all that, I want you to take me back to your role from 98 to 04 when you were working for the Knicks. I imagine you crossed paths with Jesse Itzler because after that you were a COO of Marquee Jet. Talk to me about working with Jesse, with Kenny. Talk to us about how you arrived in Milwaukee as president of the Bucks. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I had a career out of college at Six Flags Theme Parks, kind of learned the entertainment retail business and kind of in a fun way when Time Warner ran uh, Six Flags and then moved to the moved to the garden and, and kind of ran our partnerships and our marketing you know, for the Knicks. And, I mean, Jesse, it was the greatest story. I sat down one day across <laughs> these two guys who I thought were clinically insane, and they they had – they had authored and uh, produced Go New York Go, which was the theme song, and they had kind of scaled two or three entrepreneurial businesses that I just couldn't imagine, and they kind of blew me away. And maybe like a couple of years later, we were just talking, and they were talking about scaling this business in private aviation associated with Berkshire Hathaway. And uh, I would never have thought in my life that I would be kind of intrigued and, and kind of go there. And that was... Uh, that turned into like a, a neat transition of 10 years of my life, you know, running Marquee Jet, which was then acquired by NetJets and then kind of running part of NetJets business for a little while. So it's, it's kind of how the world goes, like funny, amazing, funny instances and kind of sitting down across people. So now Jesse owns a piece of the Atlanta Hawks. And I was just going to ask that. Do you guys toss it around? Yeah, yeah, all the time, right? Yeah, no, we toss around. It's a great position for me because, as you know, the Hawks, the Hawks really haven't won anything lately, like in a while. So it's a fun conversation. I want to ask about, you know, just kind of piggybacking off of what Damien was asking about. Sports franchises are brands. And when you worked for the Knicks, that was a huge brand. It's known all over the country, all over the world, you could argue. Now you're selling a smaller brand, just as passionate a fan base, but the Milwaukee Bucks. It, you know, you can't really compare that to the New York Knicks. Tell me a little bit about what the brand represented when you first arrived at the Bucks organization and what you've built it into now. Yeah, I would say, like, absolutely, I disagree with you. We were we were kind of purchased by three New York City financiers who kind of had grown up with Knicks season tickets. And when we started this journey, you know, and kind of acquired what, what was really kind of 
quantitatively and qualitatively, probably one of the most distressed brands in sports. You know, just by every number you can imagine, the Bucks had lost, you know, had only won 15 games that year. We kind of like in revenue to ticket price to attendance to per caps, you know, were kind of either 29th or 30th in the 30 league. Our owners made it really clear, like, we are going to we are going to redefine a small market and we're going to treat this, you know, and we're going to build a foundation. We're going to build process and run a business as if we are the market like in the NBA and kind of take the gold standard. And the fun thing for me personally and professionally is I had kind of done that, you know, from New York City and from mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden and kind of had realized, you know, very early, you know, the gold standard of, of, of resourcing a team, a company, a brand at the highest level. So it was kind of incredible experience to have and to put against like what these owners were really looking for. Like we wanted to redefine what a small market meant, what the bucks meant, what yeah. it meant to our audience. I mean, the, the most interesting thing here is like, you know, if you told me nine years ago, I would tell you like, oh God, we've got to capture the Milwaukee audience, then the Wisconsin audience, then the regional, then the national. Come to really think about the funnel really is, you know, global, you know, is primary, the national is secondary, and then it really becomes localized in a big way. And okay. part of that is the, the Giannis effect. You know, yes. Which, Yes, I'm sure we'll talk about which we will. But I want to jump on what you said a little bit earlier, which is you had uh, finance guys from New York, Mark Lazary among them. uh, But he did sell his 25 percent team ownership stake to Jimmy Haslam, the Cleveland Browns owner and the Haslam Sports Group back in April. How has that changed things? How how what's what's the Haslam effect now on the Bucks uh, now that Mark Lazary is out? So it's an awesome infusion because all of a sudden we had Wes Eden's another primary uh, owner owns Aston Villa kind of has the premier league as a compare and contrast, which is really interesting, like on a global basis, Jimmy and D Haslam bring in the Cleveland Browns and bring in MLS as the, the Columbus crew. And when you're running an operation like this, and when you're thinking about kind of what are the best practices, how do you aggregate, you know, kind of the best talent and really think about the businesses on a much larger level, it gives you a huge advantage, especially now that we've got kind of the reference of an NFL team and kind of how, how they think about position and monetize. So it's been awesome. Like it's, it's, it's kind of like a real infusion of growth for us and different way of thinking to have a, to have an owner who actually owns other franchises in other leagues. Well, yeah, we got to talk about Giannis the Adonis. Sam Thomas circles it down low, challenges. Giannis blocked the shot. Rebound controlled by the Greek freak. He's been on both sides of the court, dominating here in the fourth quarter. And Milwaukee's going to have it with a foul called going the other way with 12.2 seconds to go. Gets it to Lillard. He'll feed to Giannis. Giannis spins through everybody and plunges it down. Oh, baby, what a play. The Greek freak taking charge here. Ladies got 11 points here in the fourth. When it comes to marketing, to quote a phrase from my beautiful late grandmama, Lord, where's my purse, child? Because this man brings in a lot of money for you marketing-wise. Yeah, I mean, I think he's redefined the international, you know, player market. The league has been, you know, kind of growing to like a large percent of 20, 25% of players are international. But, but Giannis really kind of helped redefine, you know, where he was, he kind of, he, he kind of came out of nowhere. I keep, I keep telling him that, you know, when he, when he came here, he was not Giannis, 
you know, and, and kind of how he grew and, and his background of both Nigerian and Greek to, to kind of have two continents of connection. And he has redefined, you know, kind of the NBA and what a small market can do on a global basis. You know, the Bucks are broadcasting 215 countries. We're kind of maxed out on national TV broadcasts. We've got the exposure you can't imagine, you know, across uh, across the world, and that certainly helps your platform when you're when you're positioning a brand and a team and its players and trying to grow it on a on a P&L basis. Peter, Michael likes to talk about his late grandmama, but you know what I really would like to know, in all seriousness, um, is about is about your mother, about being Barbara's son. I mean, Barbara, you know, survivor of Nazi Germany, yeah. just wrote a best-selling book. You know, a defining figure at Gray Advertising. Talk to us about growing up with your two brothers in that household in New York City, and what you took away from that, and how that's helped you in your career. Yeah, you don't know until you know. So, you know, I, I was, thought I was leading a normal life with like two parents and kind of what you grew up in, two professionals. And then you kind of come to realize that you're, you know, you're sitting at the dinner table and and kind of hanging out with one of the pioneers in advertising and kind of through osmosis and direct contact, kind of learning about branding, learning about business processes at the kitchen table. So you think about one of the greatest advantages, like in the history of the world, which we always say kind of in education is like, how do we learn? How do we get the parents involved? You know, I had that on steroids um, to, to really have this distinct advantage of, of, you know, this, this, this mother and this parental unit who kind of were, were professionals in, in the, in what I became interested in at the highest level and, and can just kind of learn and uh, absorb, you know, from the best. So, you know, Peter, now that we've had that, you know, serious question out of the way, I'm wondering, you know, my daughter's a big fan of chicken tenders and I've heard the best chicken tenders this side of the Mississippi River is Cream City Cluckery. Talk to us about the Deer District. Talk to us about what's going on in Milwaukee, how you've changed the game on the ground. Wait, wait, wait. wait. What was the name of that again, please? <laughs> Cream City Cluckery. <laughs> well, I mean, like a really fun, you know, crazy story. You know, when, the, when COVID took over and we were kind of thinking about what to do, we happened to realize that we had the largest kitchen in the state of Wisconsin, you know, in Pfizer Forum, and how could we act, activate it? It was kind of the time when ghost kitchens, like, really became, you know, kind of interesting, and, and, doing, and we branded a food, we customized it, we cooked at the highest level, and we started to successfully become, like, one of the larger takeout and brick-and-mortar chicken uh places like during it and kind of extended it through as it's one of our key offerings like in the arena itself it's still a big takeout business and it's kind of like one of those fun extensions and it's it's one of the great things when you work for you know these people who are private equity investment entrepreneur people you know they are very open to to kind of trying new things and having some fun and and, and that's kind of you know, when you have a strong brand and you're growing, kind of some of the neat, fun things you can do. Our thanks to Peter Fagan for joining us. He is the president of the Milwaukee Bucks. Up next, we take a look at the betting world, heading into the NFL's big game with BetMGM CEO Adam Greenblatt. I absolutely love the NFL. I love the fact <laughs> that the momentum of a game can change on a dime. It's it's tremendous. It's such beautiful entertainment. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. The countdown.
countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. The Super Bowl, you've heard of that. It is one of the biggest sporting events on the calendar and one of the biggest moments for the sports betting industry. And with the game just around the corner, we wanted to check in on the sports betting landscape with Adam Greenblatt. He's the CEO at BetMGM, a market-leading sports betting and gaming entertainment company, in case you don't bet online. Adam, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Well, we were just just before we went on the air, we were talking about Scarlett being a diehard 49ers fan, along with my wife, a diehard 49ers fan, and moi, a diehard Lions fan. And right now we're, wah, wah. you know, yeah, we're we're taking some Robitussin on our <laughs> end over here. But you you said something, and you're exactly right. The conversations we're having. With especially mm-hmm. with the NFC Championship game in the in the rearview mirror now, are the conversations many gamblers have been having? Absolutely, it, it's a it's a conversation I think that will be echoed in millions of households around America, and frankly, this adds a a, a flavor, a dimension, a richness to the business of fandom and 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 those uh, you know NFL focused conversations. I think it's I, I, I love the drama. Because that's what our product is about. It amplifies the, the way we feel about our teams, about our journey. So I'm curious whether the venue of the Super Bowl 2024 being in Las Vegas changes the dynamics or the volume of uh, game betting that you anticipate for this big event. Well, it's, it's an interesting one. As, as you may well know, many of your viewers will know, the or listeners will know, the um, Nevada has had uh, sports wagering for longer than any other state. Uh, Nevada was grandfathered in as a, a provider of, of sports betting opportunity for, for players, uh, even during the, the dark years of PASPA, which, as we know, were overturned in 2018. So there is a... a there is a base level of demand in the state of Nevada for the product. Yeah. What we are seeing is that with the increase, with the availability of regulated sports betting around the country, the tide has risen across the board, which includes Nevada. There was an expectation, a thought, a fear, perhaps, that we would see declining uh, demand for sports wagering in in Nevada as a result of the availability elsewhere. We've not seen that at all. It's gone from strength to strength. Adam, I just need to ask you this one question. It's an important question. You know, the NFL, the Super Bowl, I mean, it is the mecca of sports gambling, at least here in the U.S., yet University of Cape Town, I mean, you didn't even go to Vitz, man. I mean, you're a rugby fan from South Africa. What on earth do you <laughs> know about gambling on the Super Bowl? No, I'm just what kidding, though. Seriously, <laughs> tell us what Las Vegas has in store for us. I mean, what sort of events? I mean, you do have the Bellagio, the MGM Grand. I mean, what's coming? What's in store? 
Well, first first comment I would make is that you're absolutely right. What is this random South African doing talking to me about the, the, the sport that I'm not talking about the Springbok? <laughs> but I must tell you, I'm a convert. I absolutely love the NFL. I love the fact that the <laughs> momentum of a game can change on a dime. It's it's tremendous. It's such beautiful entertainment and great viewing. Anyway, that aside, BetMGM <laughs> has been preparing for the big game for months now. And prior to the season, uh, we, we delivered significant upgrades to our product, our sportsbook product, back-end functionality, front-end experience, a real focus on speed, ease of use, product range. And um, in fact, over the last six months alone, we've improved the speed of, of our product by over 25%. Sad. Michael's so in asking terms me. of what our players are going to experience, a lot of exciting, really engaging uh, product experiences there today. Now, in terms of the big game activations, uh, we've been running teasers for our first ever Super Bowl ad in some, what I think are, are some really creative social campaigns. Uh, we've got our big game bash is a two-part event, beginning with a private Bill Burr comedy show on Friday night, February 9th. And then following night, we've got the headliner of Luke Combs at the Cosmopolitan uh, on Saturday night. And then, of course, the grand finale uh, of uh, uh, Vince Vaughn. That's it. Uh, Tom Brady. Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you believe this? You talk about this random South African from, the, from, from Cape Town. This is the biggest names on the biggest stage in Vegas, our, our, our home turf. It, I mean, I, it couldn't be more exciting. And that's what Michael Barr wants to know. He wants to know, will Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky, and Vince Vaughn be at Luke Combs' show? Because, you know, he was thinking about purchasing <laughs> tickets. I think they're available. I'm not I'm, I'm not mistaken. No, I'm just kidding. Talk to us about that ad. I mean, look you at are? I mean, those are just icons of the industry. And, you know, how involved are they? In this year's Super Bowl, are they going to be in attendance? I mean, what sort of, I mean, outside of obviously some of the events you have planned in Las Vegas, are, we, are yeah. they going to be more visible for the BetMGM brand going forward? So they will be to, they, they, they are doing a, a, a special event for, for BetMGM's VIPs. Uh, we're having an event with the three of them and just 70 of BetMGM's VIPs. Um, which is meet and greet, questions at Q&A, uh, real intimate, uh, we think, I mean, for, for these su- global superstars, a really intimate uh, gathering. I mean, it's another one of the reasons why being a VIP at BetMGM is a, is, is a premium place to be, uh, and aspirational, obviously, in a very competitive landscape. Um, but more, more than that, I can't say, I'm afraid. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, because Nevada, the, the state there, has obviously the mobile and the when they see retail is obviously you can bet at the casino mgm of course and i remember when this first happened when the mobile sites came out and nevada kind of turned their nose up at first it's like we don't want that why do we want to hurt our businesses that make money if you go to a physical casino and bring it in but like you said Everything changed, and you know, Nevada is seeing uh, the same, not even a drop off, like you said. As much as the incumbents in, in any sector, as much as the incumbents would like to hold on to the way it was, technology disrupts, and that and, and sports betting is, is, is in no way insulated from that. And frankly, MGM, who are 
really savvy, uh, really savvy decision makers, savvy organization have recognized that and embraced it. And in fact, what they've done, what, what Nevada and Las Vegas have done is reinvent themselves again. Mm. Reinvent themselves this time as the center of the sports universe. And Las Vegas really has become that. You know, it, Vegas has been on an upward tra- trajectory with the Vegas Golden Knights. It has happened in Vegas. The Cubs going to stay in Vegas. And for the first time, the Golden Knights are Stanley Cup champions. Yeah. The Aces, Formula One, now with the Oakland A's on their way. So on the biggest stage, Vegas is going to show the world how they blend sports and entertainment together. It's ushering in a new, in my view, ushering in a new era in sports as Vegas becomes the destination for, for marquee events. And frankly, BetMGM is ideally positioned mm-hmm. to capitalize, as I said, two, for two reasons. One, because of our omni-channel advantage. This is how we meld together retail and digital into a seamless experience for our, for our players. But also, it's our home field. Anyone who, goes, uh, will, be, who will be in Vegas for the, for the Super Bowl, for the big game, will see the strength and, uh, and, and muscle. Right. Of, of MGM Resorts and Ben MGM. And you'll be painting Las Vegas gold and black with uh, outdoor, indoor, digital, and special advertising that will you know, bombard fans the minute they get off the plane. Black and gold, of course, the color of the Las Vegas Golden Knights as well. You had mentioned Wayne Gretzky. You mentioned Tom Brady. Uh, you mentioned Vince Vaughn. Vegas, baby, Vegas. Um, all of that is amazing, especially for Gen Xers like Damien and myself. That's right. I'm curious, though. You did not bag the most important celebrity, which is Taylor Swift. She may or may not be in town, <laughs> and you missed out on that opportunity, or is there still time? Well, uh, I believe she's uh, the, the, there's a, an open question, a hanging question, whether she'll be able to get from Japan to the game. Um, so, you know, the, according to the... the uh, the Swifties who really focus on this question, there is a chance that if she gets on a plane immediately, she'll be there the night before. So we're we're hoping. <laughs> um, I, I think for all of America and for the NFL and for viewership, we're we're very much hoping and doing anything we can to support that if we <laughs> right. if we can. It'd be great to have her in town. I, I do wonder though, when it comes to investing in celebrity spokespeople, there is some risk to it now that didn't really wasn't really apparent a few years ago. You think about Tom Brady and his association with FTX, the way that Taylor Swift is being weaponized by the far right and conspiracy theorists about you know her appearance being uh, evidence of the Super Bowl being rigged, the NFL being rigged, the election being rigged. Would it not make more sense to start considering um, steering away from celebrity spokespeople who can be as polarizing as anything else in our culture and maybe stick with someone like Michael Barr for your next ad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll draw a lot of them if you get me in there. Yeah. Well, I, what I mean is regular people who are passionate about sports betting. Oh, that, that is a, a really complex, multi-dimensional question, if I may just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um Look, reality is we we have to navigate the the tricky intersection between impact and reach and risk and the role of social media as a polarizing medium. I don't think that's going away. No. And so what we have been really thoughtful about is aligning ourselves with those who we believe to be um, consistent with our brand values and 
less polarizing. And of course, everybody has a history, and but you know, we we are very thoughtful in in how we manage those associations. Uh, but you're right. Look, in in, in Canada, they've uh, they've for, for different reasons, by the way, they they have now required that no existing or former sports uh, celebrities are able to be ambassadors. Now, the, the lens through which they're interpreting that is one of uh, responsible gambling mm-hmm. and um, likelihood of underage uh, viewers being attracted to, to the yeah. category. Our thanks to Bet MGM CEO Adam Greenblatt for joining us on the show today. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. We hear each and every week at the same time. For my colleagues Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer, I'm Michael Barr. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big old money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.